Please remain standing as you're able as we come before God's word. Very likely we'll, we're doing what Jesus and the disciples would have done, which is to recite the Shema. And then, of course, he would add, love your neighbor, and, and gave what he said was the greatest commandment. If you'll follow after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, (laughs) and love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture this morning is from Luke, but here's the setting. Uh, Luke 10, 25 through 37, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan in response to a lawyer who had questioned him about eternal life. And he ends it saying, now, which was the neighbor? And the lawyer responds and he says, go and do likewise. And then all of a sudden we pick up in the very next verse this story. When Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he came to a village and there a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. Now Martha was, uh, pre, uh, was preoccupied and distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so she said to him, Lord, don't you even care that my sister has left me to do all this by myself? Tell her to help me. And the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only a few are needful. Indeed, one. And Mary had chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. As I think about the classic story of Mary and Martha, I have to tell you, I've been in the church a long time, and I've done retreats for people a long time, and been in many discussions, and I feel like Martha always gets a bad rap. Like, Martha is used as a way for us to say something negative about our faith, our, our experience, our, our discipleship. Uh, for many years, I used to do uh, women's retreats called the Walk to Emmaus, and, and almost invariably, a, a woman would say to other women on the team, oh, I've been such a Martha. I have to quit being like Martha. I need to be more like Mary. And I'm wondering for a moment, now, what's so bad about Martha? I mean, look what she's doing. She is preparing a meal for Jesus and his disciples, and she has opened her home to them as well. And I thought about it, and I thought, well, you know, I like to eat. Disciples like to eat. As best as we can tell from the Gospels, Jesus liked to eat. And so what she's doing really is what we would call hospitality. Food and the serving and sharing of food was very central in the New Testament. In fact, many parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven have to do with people sitting down and having a banquet together, or they're coming to a banquet, or they're being invited to a banquet. In fact, 40 years after Jesus died, the Romans came in and destroyed uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And what the rabbis said shortly thereafter was fascinating. They said, when the temple stood, it was the altar that atoned for the sins of the people. Because the priest would offer sacrifices in the altar. And then it said, but now it is the table that atones for the sins of the people. 
In other words, God had had moved, they saw, in the destruction of the temple away from asking for sacrifices of, of animals. And the sacrifice God was now looking for from the people, they reasoned, was the sacrifice of hospitality and opening our homes to other people. Uh, hospitality was a huge virtue in the New Testament world, just like it was in the Old Testament world. In fact, in Jesus' day, there was a saying that went something like this. Let your house be a meeting place for the sages. In other words, open your house when a great teacher, our great teachers come by. And that's exactly what Martha has done. She's done exactly what they would have expected her to do in her day. So what's the problem? Why does Martha get this reprimand from Jesus. Well, I suppose there are a few possibilities, and and one of them is, I think, this, and that is one of the things Martha does is she criticizes her sister in front of Jesus. And if you look in the Gospels, Jesus is a little bit sensitive about brothers and sisters criticizing criticizing each other, whether they be blood relatives or whether they are brothers and sisters in the family of God classic story of two relatives is Jesus uh, has a person say to him one day, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And Jesus' response is a little bit curt. He said, who may be judge over you? And then toward the end of the gospel of John, uh, Jesus is telling Peter that the future long term is is a little bleak and he's going to be captured and uh, they're going to take him places he doesn't want to go. And so Peter hears this about his future, but his first response is not about his future. He wants to know, well, then what about John? And he points and says, what about him? And Jesus gives another rather curt reply. Jesus says, what is that to you? Jesus seems to be a bit sensitive when we, within the family, criticize one another. And I know that's a little bit difficult because a lot of us think our spiritual gift that we bring to the family of God is criticism. You know, that, uh, I mean, I can tell you, if you give me enough time, I can tell you what's wrong with you. But it's not real big for Jesus, and it's also not real big on hospitality. In fact, even to this day, according to Rabbi Joseph Telushkin out in California, the Jews have a practice where if you've extended hospitality, hospitality and somebody's gone uh, to a house for dinner, for 24 hours they do not criticize the dinner or anything that the host did. So you don't say, well, boy, their kids were out of control, or what about the pets, or I can't believe they served meatloaf. Uh, none of that. For at least 24 hours, criticism is out of bounds where hospitality is being practiced. And so Mary is showing hospitality to Jesus in a different way than Martha does, but hospitality nonetheless. And so Martha criticizes her. Maybe that's a problem. Or maybe Jesus is trying to teach Martha that hospitality is more than giving Sometimes hospitality is receiving because while she's busy making the food for Jesus, which is very important, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet letting Jesus give to her wisdom from God's own mouth. And both of them are a form of hospitality. Maybe Jesus is reminding Martha, you know, it's just as important to receive as it is to give when it comes to hospitality. And I know I have a bad habit. My wife and I will, um, she's a social one among us, and so she's trying to rehabilitate me. So um, every so often she'll invite people to dinner. And what happens, even sometimes before dessert, I'll start cleaning off the table and start doing the dishes because, you know, that's my job in the house. And, well, actually, more truthfully, I just don't want to be up all night doing the dishes. And so I'm no longer with the guests and not able to receive their presence, 
their graciousness, their sense of humor, their wisdom, because I'm off with the dishes. Hospitality is not just what we do for others, but what we allow them to do for us. Fred Craddock talks about learning this lesson. He was a guest preacher in a church, and one day after church, uh, a widow asked him, uh, would you like to come to lunch? And, And he said, well, sure I will. And so when he got there, he found out she was already ready. And she had this beautiful dining, uh, formal dining room and the table was set up with candles. And, and he looks at it and he said, you know, in, in my house, we just eat in the kitchen. And she just kind of looked at him. So he goes on, follows her into the kitchen. She's got everything, getting it ready. She gets out china and starts using the best of everything to put the food on. And, and he said, you know, there's, when there's only a few of us in my house, we just eat on paper plates. And she said, why don't you be quiet and go sit down? And he was thinking, all right, that was my next move. So he sits down and they get ready for this sumptuous dinner for two with candles. And she says to him, Mr. Craddock, do you know this is twice as many as I've had for dinner in years? And he realized the importance of allowing people to give to you. If you ever go to Israel with uh, Ray Vanderland or Scott Hare, I'll give you a heads up. At some point in the trip, you may be struggling to climb up a particular hill or, or to carry an extra bottle of water in the desert. And you'll try to do it yourself, and people will offer help, and you'll refuse. And then the leader, whether it's Scott or Ray, has been waiting for this moment the whole trip. And they glare at you, and they make an example in front of everyone, and they say, if you refuse someone's offer to help, you are denying them the opportunity to do the thing that God has put them on the planet to do, which is to help others. Hospitality is not just showing help to others, but it's allowing others to help us as well. There's a a neat church in Indianapolis, and they've got, um, like we have our Hope Center, they have a place like that where they help people in community who have needs. But when they come in and they do the intake interview, they don't just assess the needs, they also say, well, do you cook? Do you clean? Do you have skills with computers? Do you... Do yard work, they start inventorying ways that the people they're helping can in turn help them or help others. And that's hospitality. Everyone gets to give and everyone gets to receive. And Martha's just seeing it as a one-way street. And I wonder if Jesus is raising the issue for her that hospitality goes both ways. We give and receive. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. I told you there was a famous saying that went like this, that Martha's obeying the first part, which goes, let your house be a meeting place for the sages. But the second part goes like this. And sit among them in the dust of the rabbi's feet. The second part was, You make a place for them, you open it, and then you go and you be with them. And Martha's done the first, but it turns out only Mary has done the second. And look how Luke knows this famous saying because Luke gets both parts. Open the house, that's one. Sit at the feet, that's the second part. And it could be that Jesus is frustrated because Martha is trying to deny Mary her opportunity for this second part. And Martha's probably denying it with good reason in that day. The kitchen was where the women stayed for the most part when a famous rabbi came to town. And then the public room, the rabbi sat down and taught the men who were there. And Mary had left her position in the kitchen and was sitting among the men. And learning just as any other disciple. 
And I wonder if Jesus' issue is, Martha, why would you deny that to Mary? Why would you deny her a place at my feet? Why do you want to keep her in the boundaries that we've had for so many years when I'm trying to open them? And if that's right, then it helps me know why sometimes I'm not very hospitable. It's simply because people have kind of left the box I think they ought to be in. So they have this political belief, so I think they ought to be over here. They have this particular theological opinion, so I think they ought to be over in this box. They do this thing or they don't do the other, so I want them in another place. And when they come out of that, it violates the boundaries that I set up. And it's hard to be hospitable. But one thing we know about Jesus in the New Testament is if there was a barrier, he took it down. And he's basically saying, Martha, I'm taking this barrier down for you, as well as Mary. Well, of course, there's one more possibility. What if this isn't a reprimand at all? What if this is something else? And here's the clue for me. When Martha asked Jesus a question, don't you care and, and please tell Mary to help me, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. That's really significant. Now, I know it's not to us because we think of the Brady Bunch and we're probably rolling our head, Marsha, 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 as some sort of like, oh, a put down. But when God repeats your name twice in the Old Testament, God has got something up God's sleeve for you. The first time it happens is when Abraham is getting ready to kill his son, his one, his one and only son. He's got the knife and then suddenly God speaks and says, Abraham, Abraham. And repeating the name twice, it is a call. It is an invitation to stop what you're doing and move into something that God has that is more and better for you. What if this is not a reprimand of Martha? It's simply an invitation that says, look what I have for you. Same thing I have for Mary, I have for you. You can put the dishes down for a minute and you can come and sit at my feet as well. I wonder about that because I think sometimes the way we practice the Christian faith, we if, I know this is a very broad generalization, but we'll kind of go to one of two points. One is we'll focus on everything God has done for us, which is good, and then we'll, we'll wait for God to do some more. So we're told, well, we're supposed to wait on God, and, and, and we can't do anything unless God does it, and, and those are wonderful messages. And then others are like, their faith is, I need to obey God, and I need to do everything God put me here to do, and that's a wonderful message as well. But think for a moment, what if it's possible in Jesus that the issue is not limited to either A, what God does for us, or B, what we're supposed to do for God? What if the issue is just being with God? What if Jesus is here to say, it's not so much about what I'm doing for you, about what you can do for me, but I just want to be with you. The great Evelyn Underhill said this 80 years ago. She said, we have spent... All of our time conjugating three verbs in our life. To want, to have, and to do. She said, all the while we have missed the significance of the verb that transcends and includes all three of those. And that is the verb, to be. What if God really wants, what God really wants is just for us, first of all, to be with God? What if Jesus is just saying, Mary... That's what I want. Martha, here's an invitation. Interesting to me that Jesus said, I think, something that reflects this in the 11th chapter of Matthew, looking at some people who are pretty beat up by their faith. He said, come to me if you're weary, you're burdened, 
and I will give you rest. What if the main thing isn't about what we're doing? What if it's about who we're being and who we're, and who we're being with? What if that's what Jesus is really about here? Rabbis used to tell a story and answer this question. Why does God not answer my prayer? And the story went like this. There was a king who had two daughters, and the first daughter was shrill and demanding and whiny and generally not a lot of fun to be around. And so she would come and ask her father, the king, for something, and he would grant it for her immediately. And she'd go off. And he had another daughter who was winsome and kind joyful and fun. And she would come and ask her father for something. He'd say, well, I'll think about it. Come back. She'd come and ask again, and father would say, come back. Come and ask again, and the father would say, come back. And the rabbi said, why was this so? Because he so much wanted to be in the presence of the second daughter that he strung her prayers along so that she would be with him. What if the point of our faith is not, first of all, even what God has done, or second of all, even what we do, but maybe first of all, being with Jesus.